So that's 12, Debo, for, for those yeah. people who like numbers. The stat fans. <laughs> well, I wonder whether they considered Hanks to voice Winnie the Pooh in Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, our Oscars predictions special. We'll also, at the end of this episode, be talking a little bit about what's coming soon and what other stuff we've been watching. But my name's Adam Hemming and I've been joined by our top gun, Neil Shepek. <laughs> Mr. Hemming, Mr. Cooper, nice to be And also our maverick, Damien Cooper. Hello. And those will be the last positive things we say about Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I jest, I jest indeed. But we're we're going to be talking about the films that have been nominated in the Oscars. Then we're going to be making our predictions. We gamify TV DNA wherever we can. So we'll be making predictions and seeing who comes out top once the Oscars happen on the 13th, is it? 12th, 13th, Sunday the 12th, right? Yeah, Sunday the 12th, but we won't be able to see it to the 13th because of the time difference. Should we start with how many you've watched? Uh, we, we challenged ourselves with 17 films to cover all these nominations. Personally, I didn't get through Blonde, but I watched the rest of them. I'm the same as you, Adam. I'm 16 and a half because I didn't make my way through all of Tar. So I've watched everything in Best Picture, uh, and then I've also watched The Whale and Causeway. Nice. So that's 12, Debo, for, for those yeah. people who like numbers. The stat fans. <laughs> right, well, should we, let's start with best films then. Are there any that you particularly enjoyed that you want to start talking about? And then we'll see what we get left with at the end. Yeah, I, I love Banshees and Finisher and absolutely loved it. Banshees, I just thought was amazing. I love Colin Farrell's performance. I love Barry Keane's. I loved all their performances, to be honest. I loved... The, it was Madonna going back to Madonna. It was very much his voice, the part of Ireland that he regularly writes about, about certainly in his stage plays. And I just love the bluntness of it. Why aren't you being my friend anymore? I don't want to. Like, like it's literally that kind of black and white in, in how it's done throughout. And, and beautiful cinematography as well. I mean, that part of Ireland is a beautiful part of the world anyway. The whole thing I just thought was stunning. And cleverly sort of set to the background of the sort of Irish Civil War, right? Yep. I mean, for me, it feels like there's three distinct packs in this. The first group being films that I think are genuinely brilliant films throughout, whether they be being, sorry, the story, the cast, the directing, the cinematography, all of it. I think there are some films that made me question why they're in there other than one, maybe two excellent performances, but I think the rest of the film is pretty blah. And then there's two obvious candidates that just should not be in there at all. <laughs> well, it's interesting that the, the, the second pack that you mentioned, I definitely think there are films that are only there because of who has either directed them or who's in them. And for me, I watched The Fablemans yesterday. The Fablemans... It's almost like a TV film. If it wasn't Spielberg, there's no way it would have been directed for an Oscar. And that's not because of its skill, it's because of who he is. Okay, some of the Spielberg tropes were given a nod to, but otherwise, yeah, I was really disappointed. I would say, I think Michelle Williams is very good in that film. But that's, so yeah, that's what I mean. Same with um, your man in Elvis. 
I mean, both excellent performances, but I'm not entirely sure of them being, you know, cited as best picture. But didn't he win BAFTA from memory? Again, I guess that's down to performance rather than film. Yeah, just on the Fablemans, this is kind of a semi-autobiographical story. So it was a bit of a passion project for Spielberg. What I enjoyed about it was how it they showed how he made his practical effects. Kind of that element of the film, I really enjoyed seeing how a, a young lad was making these special effects. But yeah, other than that, it's just an okay film. We've said it before. How many times does one of the films have to be a love letter to making films? We're beyond that now, aren't we? Have we not mined that for all it's worth? Yeah, yeah, we we, we have. But I guess they're going to come up again. I mean, what what's the thing? There's only seven actual stories and they're just told in different ways. They are going to come up again. I didn't think it was as good as Belfast, which was Branagh's love letter to himself as a kid. But that had the background, again, of the troubles in Ireland. And so it had a kind of political context, whereas the closest Fablemans gets to is an element of anti-Semiticism in, within the school. But there isn't really a, a, a context. My issue with it more is not necessarily the, the autobiographical nature of the piece for the director, more that it's a love letter to making films. So Belfast is interesting because it's about the troubles and it's about Northern Ireland at a very, a very tricky time. Let's use that euphemism, shall we? But the Fablemans is about, I don't know, a lower middle class family in America. It just it just starts to disappear up its own fundament. I always find these kind of films. <laughs> Let's talk about another one then. So as well as Banshees, I think one of the favourites coming into this was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Didn't do particularly well at the BAFTAs but has picked up quite a few at the, the SAG Awards. But yeah, this is absolutely one of my favourite films of recent times. I think it's utterly bonkers, utterly brilliant, very funny, loads of great action sequences. I just loved it and really, really hope that it gets the praise that it deserves. I think it has split opinion. I think some people have, have derided it for almost being too wacky. I think if you look at it on a more metaphorical level, the way that it explores what might almost be, it doesn't specifically say, so maybe almost menopausal for um, Michelle Yeoh's character, her dealing with her husband, her dealing with her, her child, and the way that it explores what she's going through is done in a really creative, yes, bonkers, but I, I just loved that form of storytelling. So we don't see that a lot. We see it occasionally, in, in, in different films like the Toro, you know, you, you'll see imaginative, special ways of kind of exploring what's actually happening inside the characters. And I absolutely loved the film for that. I, I thought it was very brave. I loved all the performances. I thought it was great. I agree. I think it's great. I think the amount of, well, certainly the cyclical narrative of everything, everywhere, and then all at once. I really enjoyed that. I think my worry is for a film like that is that it does all these great things, but it is maybe lacking in the seriousness that the Academy will want from its winning film. Whilst I think it is a more than deserved winner, I think it's going to lose out to something with a more serious message. But you could argue that it does have a serious message. It's looking at a woman at her point in life. It's, it's not banging the nail on the head. It's up to you to find that. 
And I appreciate many people won't necessarily see it like that. They'll just see it as a bonkers fun film. That's my point. I, I'm not entirely sure that it will, people will be willing to give it the respect that it deserves because it plays with form, it plays with narrative, you know, it's interdimensional, all these things. I think it's going to be one step too many for a lot of people to see it as a quote-unquote proper film. Well, I, I thought it was groundbreaking and definitely the best film about the multiverse this year, <laughs> Doctor Strange. <laughs> so... All Quiet on the Western Front picked up a lot of the BAFTA love. This is the remake of the 1953 film, I believe. So World War I story told from the perspective of a young German soldier. I mean, really, really beautifully made film. Uh, I think it's it's up for sound, score and cinematography and expect it to pick up at least some of those. But yeah, what did you think of this one? It's the first one I watched of all these films. I watched it quite a while ago, maybe within a couple of days of it going on to Netflix. It is an epic in every sense of the word. I think it's a well-told story. I think, as we've said probably previously on this podcast, I know we have in person, the point of view of the narrative is fascinating given what we normally see, certainly with regards to Hollywood. And that is only really thanks to something like like Netflix. I don't think we'd necessarily see a film like this had it just been given to Hollywood certainly not considering it's not in English because it's a while ago it's very tricky for me to give it a fair comparison but I do think it's brilliant I certainly preferred it to uh, 1917 which I guess you could say is a comparable film yeah I think that's fair uh, yeah they're, they're almost partners in showing things from um, two different sides you know, I, I agree with both of you. I, I thought it was stunning in performances, in cinematography, in the narrative. I haven't seen the original film, but I think that has certainly helped it to get its nomination because that was such a classic as well. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I love the fact that one of the, not just foreign language films, but like one of the best picture nominations has been for a film that, is not in the English language. Yeah, I'm going to echo everything that you've said. It's also up for Best International Picture and the only one of those to have also been nominated for Best Film. So you've got to think it's it's odds-on favourite for that one. I think that will be what it gets. I don't think it will win Best Picture because the Academy can give it that. And also because there are other films that are really good. I, I, I have to say, I do think the nominations for this year are really good, very diverse, maybe not director, but... Uh, as far as Best Picture, there's such a plethora of amazing films that are all very, very different. And I think in other years, or quite in the Western Front, might have stood a chance, but I don't think it does this year. So my third favourite film of all the ones we've watched is Triangle of Sadness. <laughs> I just absolutely loved this. It's the satirical black comedy that follows a celebrity couple on a luxury cruise with wealthy guests. If you haven't seen it yet, it's hilarious. It's told in three parts. The second part is just so mental. And I love I love how it was taken to an extreme. But actually, I, I think I enjoyed the third part most of all. I thought it was just really interesting, fascinating, really creative piece and very, very funny. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I mean, I enjoy any film that questions the world, capitalism, systems, all of that. Yeah, it was done in a very funny way. Woody Halson is absolutely amazing in his character. I was frustrated at the end because I wanted an answer. 
but I guess if you look at it on a more objective level, there is no answer to what the world's going through at the moment, or at least not one that seems possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a classic Eat the Rich film, uh, but I think it is really good. There's That middle section is almost South Park-esque in its level of crudeness, but it is absolutely hilarious. Lots of really lovely stuff, lots of really subtle stuff is there I, as well. I can imagine giving it a second viewing, you would see a hell of a lot more stuff. I've just, even from just looking a cursory glance on Twitter, should I say, there are so many Easter eggs that I didn't notice the first time around watching that film. Yeah, so always a good measure, isn't it? I think Triangle of Sadness, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Banshees of Inner Sharon are the three I'm most likely to watch again. Let's talk about women talking. I love this. I thought it was brilliant. But the thing in my head the whole time was, I'd much rather watch it on a stage. I thought it was a really, really good film. And I can imagine it'd be a fantastic play because it is predominantly said in that barn, other than flashbacks. I think there are just so many great performances. I would have liked to have seen more of Frances McDormand, but I think the shifts, the politics amongst the group and the families is just electric. The amount of discussion and debate that was going on when they were considering what their choice was. Obviously, they don't live in a democracy, so they have to decide whether they're going to leave or whether they're going to stay and fight. But yeah, I did my research and it's based on a 2018 novel of the same name by Miriam Tours. I probably pronounced that wrong. And it's inspired by real life events that occurred on a remote and isolated community in Bolivia. So it is based on a kind of true, true events. I thought it was it was really good. It, it's something you've got to be in the right frame of mind for because you do need to listen to different sides of the debate and understand the reasons why some of the women talking want to stay and they don't want to leave and they're prepared to fight or to put up with the men coming back or whether they leave or not. I'm sure all of us have come up with situations in our life, not as extreme as that, where we have to consider the pros and cons of, right, do I leave for potentially a better life? And that could be a job situation or relationship or whatever. Or do I stay and try and make my current existence better? And I think that's really where it hits home for anybody, because anyone have, have had to kind of question that. Do, do I continue to put up with or challenge you know, my present existence, or do I leave for a new existence? But that's scary because it's unknown. Yeah, and I too really enjoyed this film. There's been a lot made out of the fact that all the director nominations are male and Sarah Polly wrote the adaptation for this and directed the film. And I, I feel like she would have been worthy company amongst those other nominations. It's this isolated religious colony and the setup at the beginning is that the, the women have been lied to and sexually assaulted and the men are away for a 48 hours and they've got this time to decide their fate so that invisible threat weighs quite heavily it's it's not a light film but it's um definitely a good watch what have we got left we we kind of touched on elvis a little bit we talk a bit about elvis this is baz lerman's biopic on uh elvis presley as neil said earlier austin butler won the bafta award for this i do enjoy a bit of lerman it was always interesting as a film what did you make of elvis tom hanks yeah he he's 
had a lot of raspberries blown towards his performance. I actually enjoyed it. He is very Tom Hanks. I think they could have possibly come up with more interesting casting for Colonel. But no, I really, I did enjoy the film. I'd have liked more of Elvis's music in it. We get some, but not as much as, say, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is obviously the Freddie Mercury one, or Rocket Man, the Elton John one, which even if there were faults in the film, you can at least enjoy the music. But I do think that Austin Butler did a fantastic job betraying a young Elvis. I mean, oh, that that's a poison chalice, surely, or at least it's a huge thing to do. And everyone that I've spoken to who's seen the film have just raved about his performance. And yeah, same here. I, I thought he did amazing to betray Elvis. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one with Tom Hanks, isn't it? Because he's not playing every the nation's favourite uncle in this, is he? Or, or, you know, whatever people describe him as. He is playing a very mischievous, mercurial, Machiavellian character, isn't he? In other words, beginning with M. I couldn't get past the fact that he sounded like, I think it was Winnie the Pooh the whole time. Just a really weird accent that he had. But as you said, it's a Baz Luhrmann film. The aesthetic is very particular. It's very bright. It's very showbiz, which works, obviously, for Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's one of those ones that is in the that middle group rather than front runners. It was okay. I mean, I'm not that bothered about Elvis, to be honest. He had some good tunes in him. But I'd say at the end of the film, I was like, nah, wasn't bad. But I definitely wouldn't watch it again. I wonder how, because it's very America-centric and films that, you know, give a nod to American icons generally do well with the Academy. I've written down as as a quote, Reagan once said, when things are too difficult to say, sing. It's very USA-centric. And I think that combined with what is a really good performance by Austin Butler, I think he stands a chance. I'm not sure it will necessarily get best film. Because this year, the films are so different. I think it's going to be really hard to predict the best film this year. Well, I wonder whether they considered Hanks to voice Winnie the Pooh in Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, which is due to come out shortly in the UK. And I'm very excited about that horror film based on Winnie the Pooh. I just wanted to check that it wasn't something that was kind of like uh, animation meets Top Boys. It wasn't Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure it's animation. We'll find out when that comes out. Let's go back to these films, though. So uh, I think the final one in your middle group, Demo, is probably Tar. Am I right? Yeah. Great film. I th- insofar as I think she is brilliant. I think it's a really interesting idea. We certainly wouldn't be getting this as a film of any interest had it been a male maestro that was doing that, without a doubt. My only issue with it is is that it's very much a vehicle for her. As amazing as she is, there's not much else going on in the other performances. They're not really given enough time to really do anything. Absolutely. I mean, her performance is extremely good, but the film itself... I didn't finish it because I I lost interest. It would have really been a labour of love to try and um, watch the rest of it. I thought it brought up some really interesting things. I I really enjoyed the different interviews 
the the character has during the film and i guess it, what it does show it shows the importance of the conductor like i trained at Guildhall school of drama so outside of my drama lessons i socialized with various musicians and conductors etc and i do think the film shows how important the conductor is with something like that and i guess a control control freakness of a conductor which is necessary for them to do their job properly and to give us the 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 eventual recording or performance so it's as good as it needs to be so i do think the film did have a purpose but apart from Blanchett who deserves an Oscar at some point yeah I I don't think it's going to win best picture one of the problems the film suffers from is that opening interview in the first scene that is maybe a little too long and incredibly idiosyncratic for that world I understand that in all these things you have to kind of find that happy ground between the tourist and the specialist but I think that first scene is too specialist and there's not enough for the tourist. I'm worried that that will stop a lot of people seeing through to the end of that film. Yeah, I mean, I did watch it all the way through to the end and those are minutes that I I won't get back. So this was my second least favourite of all the films that I watched. I just found it really, really dull. And yes, I understand why it's an important role and an important performance by Kate Blanchett, who has, by the way, won a couple of Oscars. She won the Best Best Actress for Aviator. So she's already had a couple. But yeah, I did I just really didn't enjoy it as a film. Well, she clearly doesn't need more space in her toilet for another Oscar. And although an amazing performance, I, I, I think there are other performances in the best actress category that are more deserving. Well, let's we'll get to those in a bit, but let's 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 tie this up then. So we've got I think two more left to talk about, and those are the ones I think that come in the bottom category of Damien's three. Let's go with Top Gun Maverick, first of all. Basically, Maverick training Goose's son is the storyline. It's fueled by high-octane cheese and nostalgia. I didn't think it was a bad film, any stretch, but and I thoroughly enjoyed the action themes, but it's, it's not as strong as some of the other films we've got here. As far as Oscar-nominated, because we always look at Oscar-nominated films as you know being of a certain pedigree, but there was two things that I liked about this, and that is, firstly... I like the fact that the Oscar committee, if that's what they're named as, are acknowledging what is popular. So we're also going to move on to Avatar Wave Water as well. But in both of those cases, they were the highest grossing films at the box office for last year. And why should we snub or look down on films that are very popular? There's a reason why they're popular. There's a reason why people go and see them. And it's not just about us critically, you know, looking at the different kind of metaphors and the quality of the script. It's also what gives people enjoyment. And film has always been entertainment or escapism. And I think they deserve some acknowledgement for that. And certainly this year, with the nominations, that has been acknowledged. And I think that is, it, it's worth acknowledging, even if they don't win the actual award. I think with Top Gun Maverick, the film is more mature 
in what it looks at than the original. It's got all the great things that has made the original an absolute classic from the, you know, the action scenes and the fighting, etc. But the narrative and the journey of Maverick and the different characters is a lot more mature in what they look at. It's not just a bad game, the getting the girl or, you know, getting up in the in the plane. I'm not saying it deserves Best Picture of the Oscars, because I don't think it does. But I'm really happy that it's been given a nod. Well, they say if you can't see anything nice, don't see anything at all. So there's that. Okay, Adam? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that you, all that you said, Neil. I think it is a really enjoyable and entertaining film. Uh, I'm glad I watched it, and I, and I watched it all the way through without pause, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I didn't enjoy myself quite so much watching Avatar The Way of the Water, and that is in large part my horrific 4DK experience, which I won't go into in detail again here. <laughs> Just the best way to ruin watching a film, watching it in 4DK. But yeah, Avatar The Way of the Water, another long-awaited sequel, and the third highest grossing film of all time now. Long being the operative word. Film's about three hours and 12 minutes long, unnecessarily so. The only thing that I can say that's positive about this is the technical aspects of this film. James Cameron knows how to push the boundaries of storytelling in terms of technical stuff, as he certainly did with the first Avatar and even some of the stuff he's done on Titanic and other films. However, in terms of a narrative, a story that I could buy into, I found it to be a little lacking. Yeah, I found it very difficult to finish. I guess the positive things I did enjoy was the amount of connection to the environment and our connections with nature. I loved, I can't remember which character says it, she says, the way of water has no beginning and no end. The sea is around you. The sea is your home before your birth and after your death. The hearts beat in the womb of the world. Our breath burns in the shadows of the deep. The sea gives and the sea takes. Water connects all things. And I love that part of it, but I completely agree. It was far too long. And also, I didn't care about any character. And I kind of questioned whilst I was watching it, is this because they're CGI? I'm finding it difficult to connect to them as individuals. I was nearly going to say human beings, but obviously they're not human beings, they're avatars, but... You know, uh, am I finding it difficult to connect with the characters because of the CGI? I think for me, I found the three males in the family really hard to tell apart. I don't think there was enough distinguishing them from each other. Again, I was massively distracted by the by the shaking that was going on in my seat. But that was one of the things that I, I was like, which character am I? Which character is this now? I'm not really sure. And also there were some repetitive moments. This is a tiny, tiny spoiler. One of the characters gets into a predicament and is rescued and then gets into the same predicament about five minutes later. And you're just like, well, it was overly long. I mean, you know, you do have to take your hat off the first time underwater motion capture in a film. And he's clearly done a lot of work and a lot of research into all of that stuff. Um, I won't be excited about Avatar 3. No, same here. Probably still watch it though. <laughs> right, I think it's prediction time then, folks. That's the 10 best films. So we'll go alphabetical order, right? And then we'll rotate as we go through each one. So I'll go first this time around. I think I'm going to stick with my favourite film of all 17 that we've watched. 
and that is everything everywhere all at once so that's going to be although we did discuss the reasons why it may not win best film i'm going to stick my neck out and, and go for that one demo top gun maverick <laughs> <laughs> i want to say all quiet on the western front i think Logically, as always, I play with my head rather than my heart in this game, but I think it's going to win Best Foreign Picture, which is why I think as much as I love everything everywhere all at once, I think it's going to be Banshees. Yeah, I'm also going to go for Banshees. Banshees is both what I think should win and I would like to win, and I think could win as well. I think they're both amazing films and we definitely would recommend getting those uh, Banshees of Inner Sharon is available on Disney Plus now and if you haven't watched it yet it's definitely worth your time watching and everything ever all at once you can watch that on Prime Video Prime Video thank you I couldn't remember I think it is included in your Prime Video membership it has it was on and off a bit sometimes you had to rent it sometimes it was included so um, you, you might need to just check that out but yeah let's move on to Best Actress then so we've got Anna de Armas in Blonde we have Kate Blanchett for Tar, Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Who else was there? Andrea Riseborough for Tim and Leslie. Yeah, and Michelle Williams was the other one, wasn't it, for The Fablemans. So, I mean, do we need to talk about Blonde? Well, we ought to, because I think some people possibly would enjoy that film. It's it's a biopic about Marilyn Monroe. Anderson Armas is, is is very very good in it. You can't deny that. Film itself, I know you didn't watch all of it, Adam, but I did. But I thought it was quite slow. I thought the dialogue was very clunky. It was quite dull and gratuitous, to be honest. I think it was a bit of a sob story. Almost as bad as Prince Harry's book that's come out recently. Yeah, I, I had all sorts of issues with Blonde. I won't go into them now. Let's talk about Two Leslie. Uh, Damien, you haven't seen this one, have you? No, I haven't, no. I think this is a good film. So Andrea Riceborough plays a character whose name I've forgotten, but who wins the lottery. And we meet her as her money has all run out and she's a, an alcoholic, essentially, and is shunned pretty much by everyone kicked out of her lodgings at the beginning of the film so it's kind of about her descent and then possible recovery yeah i think she's really good in this i think it's a good performance my favorite thing was the andre royo bubbles from the wire was in it which was brilliant just to see him in another film oh, wow it was good he, he plays a supporting role in it and and is yeah, he's, he's the sort of the light relief, but he's a he's a valuable voice in that show. I think the rest of the cast, I think, will do a good job. Also, um, what's her face? Alison Jammy from The West Wing. I love what's her face. She's absolutely brilliant as the I guess kind of stepmom in it. No, she's fantastic. Um, Angela Riseborough is absolutely amazing in it, unrecognisable. And um, when you look back at her. BBC TV playing a young Margaret Thatcher and all the various period stuff she's done. This is so not her casting. And she is amazing in it. She she carries it. She absolutely does. And definitely one of the reasons why I enjoyed and watched the whole thing. It shows all sorts of different perspectives of trauma and what she's going through and the strength of a survivor. I think because most people in Hollywood and within the US won't be familiar with her earlier work, 
they won't realise how amazing her performance is. And I think that's one of the reasons why she probably won't get the Oscar. She was a surprise nomination, right? Because uh, there was a big social media campaign getting various people to post the same social media posts in praise of her. I mean, I, I, I think her performance is really strong, but for me, she's not going to win this. It's tricky. It's, it, as with most years, I'd say actress in a leading role and obviously actress in a supporting role is probably the tightest categories that we have, as per usual. We've said it already, I think Michelle Williams is fantastic in The Fablemans, pretty much the only thing that I enjoyed in that film. Michelle Yeoh is brilliant. But then, you know, Kate Blanchett is brilliant too. It's it's very tough. I'm going to really struggle to call this. I think well, it's, it's, it's fantastic that we've got such amazing talent in that category. Um, and it's a real shame that only one of them is going to... Well, they've all been recognised. I guess that's the other thing to look at. To get nominated is a huge recognition in itself, particularly for Andrea Riseborough because it's so unexpected. And whether she wins or not, she's in great company. And I think we should be really proud that we've got so many great actresses. Grand. Well, Damo, I am going to ask you to pick then. Who are you predicting for this one? I think it's a toss-up between two, personally. But From what I've seen, of course, I think it is between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh. I think uh, Michelle Williams is brilliant, but I don't think she's quite there. I mean, the way this is going to go, I don't think everything... I think everything ever all at once is not going to win a single Oscar as far as my picks are going, which is a shame. But the film is so clearly pushed towards Kate Blanchett. I think it is going to go to her, I think... I might change my mind, but currently that's where I'm at. Neil. So just remind us, who are the five nominees? Anna de Armas, Michelle Williams, Kate Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh and Andrea Riseborough. I think it will probably go to Kate Blanchett. But this year, the Academy has been, let's say, more adventurous and open-minded. I would really like... Andrea Riseborough to win it but I think it'll be Kate Blanchett Cool, so you're both going with Kate Blanchett Blanchett won the BAFTA, Michelle Yeoh won the SAG Award, I'm going to stick with my everything everywhere all at once so I'm going to go with Michelle Yeoh because I just think she, again, I thought she was brilliant in this I thought Tar was a bad film I won't be surprised if Kate Blanchett wins it but my, my, I'm going for Michelle Yeoh, I'm going to stick to my guns on this one Right, Best Actor, we've got a few films to talk about here as well, so let's move through these. Neil, you mentioned The Whale earlier, Brendan Fraser won the SAG Award for Best Actor for this as well. I really loved this in large part due to Sadie Sink, but I thought his performance as the obese and reclusive English teacher trying to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter was incredible. I'm very glad I watched the film. I loved Fraser's performance. And it's really hard with that amount of prosthetics to express emotion. He communicated the character's emotion, how he's feeling, even though it is, like I say, very hard with that amount of prosthetics to properly use your kind of facial muscles. I thought the script, and I appreciate it's not up for best picture, but I thought the I thought the script was really clunky. I thought the dialogue was really poor. But I do think the narrative the film was really interesting and the various twists that are brought up at different points. Yeah, it's definitely a film I would say 
you should see it. I think Brendan Fraser's performance in this is brilliant. I think Hon Chow, who is also up for action and supporting role, is also amazing in this. Up until seeing this film, I thought it was Colin Farrell's to lose, but now I have to change who I would go for because I think it's just brilliant. I enjoy this, I think, a lot more. It's based on a stage play, but I, I didn't have an issue with the dialogue. I, I just thought it was a fantastic film. And I, I think Sadie Sink is going to be an Oscar winner for the future. Uh, I just think she's incredible. Paul Mescal has been nominated for After Sun. This is a father-daughter story 20 years after their last holiday at a fading vacation resort. Sophie reflects on the rare time spent with her loving and idealistic father, Callum. I think Paul Mescal is pretty in this. It's, it's very nuanced. It's very natural. It's very real, whatever that means. No, I, I thought he was fantastic in this. I don't think it's Oscar-worthy, his performance, but it's fantastic that he's been acknowledged. And hopefully from this, he'll be given a role that's more demanding. I'm not saying this isn't demanding, because emotionally it is. His character is going through a depression, and a bit like Triangle of Sadness, the ending of the film doesn't give you any answers. Again, I think he's got a young female co-star, uh, Frankie Correa, who is absolutely superb in this film. Really, really good. And I think it's such a beautiful, genuine relationship between the two of them. It's Mescal's performance is effortless. And I think that's because of the way the film has been created. It's largely seen through sort of shot footage from their video camera. I think that effortlessness can sometimes betray how much work has gone into it, if that makes sense. Similarly, I think Bill Nye in Living gives a similar sort of effortlessness to his performance, but I think this is Bill Nye's best ever performance. I completely agree. Bill Nye is, oh, he's an amazing actor anyway. But he's always very entertaining on screen and whether it be Love Actually or you know, other films that he's done, Pipes of the Caribbean, where he is absolutely spellbounding on the screen because he's not afraid to go to certain places. And in Living, he's just amazing. He he goes completely the opposite, much more nuanced, much more interesting. And I don't know, anyone in, I guess, later periods of life that may have been questioning, you know, what's my purpose? What am I doing? Well, you know, I'm stuck in this job or whatever it is. And I, I love the fact that his relationship with Miss Harris was not sexual at all. He genuinely wanted to understand what it was to live. Yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a great film, to be quite honest. But his performance absolutely made it. I agree with you, Adam. I think one of his best performances to date. Yeah, and again, a third young female actress, Amy Lou Wood from Sex Education, who again was superb in, in this film. Also shouts to Alex Sharp and Tom Burke, who I think were really good. It's adapted from a 1952 Japanese film which was inspired by the 1886 Russian novella The Death of Ivan Ilyich by Leo Tolstoy. It's not It's not a new story. Yeah, and, and that Japanese film being by Kurosawa as well, right? I only got about 35, 40 minutes, if that, into this um, and had to stop. I don't know if it's just generally because of where I was at the time of watching. It was quite late. We just watched another film. In fact, we just finished watching The Well maybe half an hour before. So therefore, I, I had nothing left in the tank. So maybe I'll go back to it. But it didn't 
grab me. I definitely think it's worth going back to. And it's not a sort of grab you by the balls film, but it's def- it's a really, really enjoyable watch. I would I would recommend living. Right, time for predictions then. So Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, Bill Nye for Living. Butler won the BAFTA, Farrell won the Golden Globe, and Fraser won the SAG Award. Neil? I think it's either going to be Fraser for The Whale or Butler for Elvis that will win it. I would really like Farrell to win it. I don't think Farrell's performance is appreciated as much as it should be. If you're going to push me between Butler and Fraser, I think there's a good chance Fraser will will get it. I think Hollywood love a comeback story and his performance is amazing in The Whale. Grant, I am going to go with Colin Farrell. I think there's not much to pick between those those three that we've talked about. Yeah, it shouldn't be Austin Butler. He does a good job, but it's not in the same league as the other two. Just only because he's playing Elvis, that the, the conversation's being had the way it is. Sorry, mate. But I think Colin is brilliant. I won't be upset if he gets it. Obviously, I'd love for him to get it, but I am going to have to go with the whale as well. Okay. Good stuff. Uh, looks like I'm an outlier all throughout these. <laughs> Let's see if the same holds true for Best Supporting Actress. So we've got Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow in The Whale, Kerry Condon from The Banshees of Inner Sherin, and Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Okay, so we haven't talked about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I personally think it's great that a MCU film has been acknowledged. It's also a really interesting film in the sense that, sadly, Chaswick Boson has passed away. So the film has been focused on, well, his sister, but also Angela Bassett plays the, the, the Queen. And she does a fantastic job. I don't think it's worthy of winning Best Sporting Actress, but I do think the film was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, like we said, there does need to be space for some popcorn films amongst those who have any sort of artistic integrity, certainly. I'm joking. But I've I've seen all of these, bar Black Panther. I'm not going to see it just because I can't watch superhero films anymore. I just can't do it. But this is, once again, as I said before, a really tight group. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm not going to go on for ages about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I think there were definitely flaws in that film. I think there were some moving moments. But I think Angela Bassett's performance in that is on another level to what you will find in most superhero films. I think she is phenomenal. She is regal, majestic, dealing with all this grief. It's a really, really strong performance. And I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if she did win for this. It, yeah, I, I felt like she elevated that film in an acting sense i think with hong chow in the whale she does give a very strong performance and it is a great film but for me she was given really bad lines of dialogue i know you you both have said that you don't think the dialogue was that bad i think if you watch it again and you look at what she has to say she does the best with what is really poor material with her lines I loved Hong Chao. I thought she was, yeah, absolutely brilliant in, in The Whale. 
So I think it is a really, really tough one. I thought all of these performances were, were stunning. Um, I think we had Angela Bassett won the Golden Globe, uh, Kerry Condon won the BAFTA, and Jamie Lee Curtis won the SAG Award. So again, lots of different people to choose from here. It's going to be really, really difficult. I think I'm going to go for Angela Bassett. Oh, man, this is really tough. I don't think Kerry Condon will get it, and I'm not entirely sure that either Stephanie Sue or Jamie Lee Curtis, who were both brilliant, will either. I can't say the way about Angela Bassett because I haven't seen her performance. And so therefore I have to go with Hong Chow. Well, okay. I would love Jamie Lee Curtis to get it. I actually think of all of those performances, hers is the one that I enjoyed the most. But I think they'll give it to Hong Chow for the whale. Interesting. Jamie Lee Curtis is superb in everything, everywhere, all at once. We should we should acknowledge that, as is Stephanie Sue, and I think she's definitely another one for the future. I hope she gets lots more opportunities because they were both uh, really great in that. Right, supporting actors then. Uh, we have Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keown for The Banshees of Inner Sherin, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Ki Hoi Kwon for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Okay. So, with the Banshees in a Sharon, I would absolutely love for Barry Keen. I mean, I'd also love for Ben Gleason to get it, but I think Barry Keen absolutely deserves it. Kia Guan for Everything Everywhere All at Once is fantastic and certainly helps the film to be as amazing as the film is. Judd Hirsch, he's not really in it. Enough, yeah, he, he plays an important part in the narrative of the film. And same with Brian Tree Henry. Who's going to win? For me, it would be between Barry Keon and Kihai Guan. And I, I can't choose between the two of them. I you love... don't have to yet. It's not your turn first, I don't think. Oh, is it not? Okay, okay. You've got, you've got breathing space. We, we haven't spoken about Causeway very much. It's it's a good film without being a brilliant film, but I, and but Brian Tyree Henry does a, a really good job in it, but I, I don't think he's going to trouble this. Similarly, Judd Hirsch, I think, is is out of the running for me. Yeah, I think the problem that Brian Tyree Henry has is he is brilliant. He is a master of kind of low energy, laconic performances, and sadly, those don't win you awards. But everything he Atlanta. Even in Bullet Train, I mean, listeners to previous episodes will know I had a lot of issues with Bullet Train. He was good in it, but again, it's kind of a low-energy, laconic performance. So I don't think he gets it. And I think, as you said, Judd Hirsch, he's brilliant for the, what, 10, 15 minutes he's in the film. Once again, it's not really a a serious film, in my opinion, The Fablemans. I think I'm going to go for Big BG himself. I think it has to be Brendan Gleeson. As good as Patrick Keown is and Gail Kwan, it has to be Brendan, man. He is brilliant. That film does not work without him. He's Patrick Keown. Sorry, that's Barry's uh, brother, Patrick. (laughs) Neil, who are you going for? Decision time. Okay, I'm going to go for Barry Keown, just so that if Damo's right, I'll be wrong, and if I'm right, they may be wrong. Well, you might both be wrong because Kihu Kwan won both the SAG and the Golden Globe Award for Supporting Actor this year. Barry Keown won the BAFTA. So I'm going to stick with my Everything Everywhere love and go for Kihu Kwan. 
I'd be very happy if Gihiguan won. Um, I, I still see him as short round and character played in the Goonies. And Hollywood loves, if Brendan Fraser doesn't get the whale, they love a comeback story. I think that is very likely, but I'm I'm going to stick with my love for Banshees of In the Sharon because it's an amazing film with many amazing actors. Let's rattle through the last three things. We've talked about most of the movies involved. So we've got Best Director, Martin McDonough, The Banshees of Inisherin, Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Robin Ustland for Triangle of Sadness. And it's you to go first this time, Neil. I'm going to go for the two Daniels. I'm going to go for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Because I just think there's a lot more craft and skill involved in what they did. I loved the Banshees of Erishirin. I think Tar is a one-woman show. I don't think that's got much to do with the director. Triangle of Sadness, I'm not sure how much the director has offered to that. But as far as skill and craftsmanship, for me, it has to be everything everywhere all at once with the two Daniels. I will speak up for Robin Usland for Triangle of Sadness because I think it takes a certain amount of bravery to go to the extent that he went in that film. So I think he did a fantastic job in that. However, I'm hedging my bets and going with the Daniels. <laughs> if they don't get best film, they'll get best director. Yeah, uh, equally, as much as I love the Banshees of Ed Sheeran, I think it will go to the two Daniels for everything, everywhere, all at once. Excellent. So we're all in agreement with that one. Best original screenplay, then. Uh, the Banshees of Inner Sharon, Martin McDonough, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Again, The Two Daniels, The Fablemans, Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg, Tar, Todd Field, and Triangle of Sadness, Robin Ustland. It's almost exactly the same. Well, it is the same films, right? For Best Original Screenplay. Yeah, he's first. I think it's me. So I am going for, on this one, I'm going for Banshees of Inner Sharon. I just think the dialogue in that is just superb yeah same here as well i think that's a hat trick and then finally then best adapted screenplay we've got all quiet on the western front edward Berger, leslie patterson and ian stokel glass onion a knives out mystery ryan johnson living kazuo ishiguro top gun maverick erin kruger eric warren singer and christopher Macquarie, and women talking sarah polly women talking for me yeah i'm gonna have to agree with that yeah, I, th- I think it's between that and All Quiet on the Western Front, but I'm rather dully going to go for women talking as well on this one. So these last three categories <laughs> we're all in agreement on and won't affect the scoring either way, but give you an indication of what, what we think about the Oscar films. Either of you going to stay up and watch the ceremony? No, I can't. I, can't I, I have them in the past and I've really enjoyed it in the past, but I've got work the next day, you know, I'm, I'm an old man. Yeah, I've got both the Sunday and the Monday off. So if I get the chance for a nap on Sunday early evening, I might stay up and try and do it. And if I do, I'll record my thoughts as I go. Uh, We will come back and do an Oscars reaction episode to the wins as part of another one of what we're watching. There are so many films out there. And this year, they're fantastic and they cater for every taste. So I really recommend that you, you watch some before the Oscar ceremony and also if you're listening to this prior to the oscar ceremony let us know on the socials whether you agree or disagree with what we've gone with adam once again it seems has taken up a sponsorship deal 
with everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> but you can let us know your thoughts at TV DNA Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can put TV DNA in the search bar of your favorite search engine. And we've currently got episodes coming out on The Last of Us, on Unforgotten, on The Mandalorian. And we'll be releasing episodes on what we're watching, which we'll add to the end of this episode. So do check out those episodes in our amazing back catalogue. So we've now been joined by Izzy Dixon and Grace Chapman. Hello. Hello. Hiya. Uh, and Neil has had to pop off. So we are we're now going to be talking about what we've been watching, what's coming soon, and some TV news, as promised. So Damo, what have you been watching? I have been watching, not very much, uh, about 30 minutes into a film called Nocebo on Netflix that I've stopped purely just to come and record this and talk to you wonderful people. Uh, it stars Mark Strong and Ava Green. It's piqued my interest enough to go back to it once this recording finishes. I usually find Ava Green a bit difficult to watch as a performer, but Mark Strong is very good in it. But the thing that I watched that I really love recently is The Consultant on Amazon Prime, starring Christoph Waltz as the eponymous consultant. And, and what's The Consultant about? I, I love that it's called The Consultant. Wasn't there a, like a, an action movie called The Accountant recently? 10 out of 10 would watch that. Sounds great. <laughs> I could be wrong. Maybe I've dreamt it. But what's The Consultant about? What does he consult on? On businesses, unsurprisingly. <laughs> that wasn't a helpful answer, was it? Um, so he goes into businesses that whilst appearing to be successful are actually on the verge of collapse. And so the CEOs or founders appears have to make a Faustian pact in order for their businesses to become super successful. And then he kills everyone. Well, that would definitely be spoiler territory, wouldn't it? Yeah. Sounds a bit like Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. I, I, I don't know how to react to that. Um, I, mean, I mean, this week's episode, The Last of Us, also reminds me of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. So, You're a venison sandwich. So what I would say, not only is Christoph Waltz in it, Nat Wolf and Amy Carrero, you might recognise, but it also stars Brittany O'Grady, who is in series one of The White Lotus. She's Sydney Sweeney's friend from school or college and it's a good little show eight episodes of maybe about 30 35 minutes each okay that sounds cool yeah good stuff how about you Izzy what you've been watching I have just finished Severance and hot damn that was a good finale yeah I absolutely loved it well I was sort of me and my housemate were finding it a bit difficult to watch more than one in a go because obviously it's very bleak and quite tense and then we hit episode seven and watch the last three in one straight run because how on earth do you stop and slow down at that point? Um, yeah, I loved it. I, I won't kind of give too many spoilers away, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely loved it. I can't wait for season two. I'm deep in the Reddit threads on fan theories and yeah, thoroughly enjoying. And then yeah, I'm continuing to watch Shrinking, which is my go-to comedy at the moment. And 
really loved the last episode um that's just come out which was written by Brett Goldstein who I love yeah I mean Adam and I have spoken about Severance finale but it is one of the best cliffhangers I've ever I've seen I think in TV and I famously watched the finale and then just immediately just watched it again didn't take a break just was like restart from the beginning yes please (laughs) yeah I I could totally I think I probably will watch it again you know Um, but just so many great details revealed and so many yeah so many amazing things set up and I think they revealed enough to keep you really satisfied but left enough things vague that you definitely want to come back for season two but yeah just phenomenal I think probably if I had finished watching it last year it would have been my one of my shows of the year we would have made that list but yeah really really enjoying both those things it's been nice a nice contrast as well having something very bleak and weird and then a show that is really really funny and quite sweet uh, both on Apple TV, our sponsor. So, <laughs> nice. um, we're gonna have to rename it Izzy's Apple. But yes, I'm also enjoying Shrinking a lot. Uh, if you want another go-to comedy for when that one finishes, I can highly recommend Abbott Elementary, season two, now on Disney Plus. And I've only managed to watch one of the episodes so far, but really enjoyed it. It's just great to have that gang back. How about you, Grace? What are you watching? For someone who talks on a podcast about TV, I don't feel like I ever managed to watch that much TV. (laughs) But I've been really enjoying Unforgotten. So this is the sort of, I guess the sort of, there's a couple of uh, TV crime dramas that are sort of filling the Happy Valley sadness, grief for me. This one is, I'm really enjoying. Um, It's been on for four seasons, uh, but I'm only coming in fresh into this season. But yeah, it's really ramped up the pace recently and I am here for it and I know that Adam and I are going to speak about episodes three and four after this and dive into some theories. Yes indeed we've released our first podcast episode talking about Unforgotten so you can hear us talking about episodes one and two and then we're going to do one uh, shortly after recording this and then we'll have one more to do Um, but yeah it's killing me not being able to watch episodes five and six so I don't spoil my own podcast discussion. Definitely. What about you, Adam? A couple of quick things. I stopped watching American Gigolo on Paramount+. Plus. I only had two episodes left to go, but I just got so fed up with the repeated scenes that we used to pad stuff out and the awful opening credits and the dodgy dialogue. I just lost patience with it and so ditched that. Paramount Plus are bringing out another TV show based on a film. Joshua Jackson and Lizzie Kaplan are going to be starring in the Fatal Attraction show. I just hope they do a better job of it than they did with American Gigolo. Uh, I did finish You and Me, which I really loved, three-parter on ITVX. Parts of it are comfortingly predictable, and then it's some really satisfying twists happen. It's very sad. It's kind of misery porn, um, but it's definitely not unenjoyable. I can recommend it as a, if you want, as I said last week, if you want the feels, then three episodes of You and Me are well worth it. Yeah, I was. I listened to your the latest what we've been watching podcast, and I was going to ask if it stopped getting so sad. But does it just dig in? It's not quite as sad as the first episode, but it's still sort of some emotional rides to go on. Cool. I just want to confirm that you and me is it doesn't star Cosmo and Dibs. <laughs> it's not. It's not the same show as um, yeah the much loved. Uh, children's show from the 80s 90s yeah um, I, I mean my grandparents told me about it because obviously I'm so young and relevant and vibrant and and so I, I don't really remember it but I, th- I think it was the late 80s yeah 
fondly remembered. What else? Very quickly, I watched the first episode of Daisy Jones and the Six. This is on Prime Video and is kind of an almost famous-like story in that it's a kind of period band. It's kind of the Fleetwood Mac story, basically, and and you learn at the beginning of the first episode that the band uh, quit at the height of their popularity. So the series is kind of showing how that came to pass. The band members are now older and sort of telling the story of what happened back in the back in the 70s. Good first episode. I will watch more. It's on my list. I um, obviously love Fleetwood Mac and I love that whole kind of 70s era. So I would definitely watch it just for that. I've heard the book's really good, which I've not read, but it's produced by Reese Witherspoon's company Hello Sunshine, who I think make really great stuff. Really, really enjoy the project she does. So yeah, that is high on my list. And then finally, I've one episode left to go of The Servant. And it's just so, so good. It's got better and better and better. I'm giddy for Friday to find out what happens at the end of that. Four seasons it will be. This is the last ever episode of The Servant coming up this week. But yeah, I can strongly recommend that show. That's it. That's what I've been watching. Should we quickly cover what's coming soon? Mm-hmm. There's not much this week. We've got Luther. Luther Fallen Son coming out on Netflix on Friday the 8th of March. Uh, This is a movie follow-up to the TV show. Brilliant but disgraced detective John Luther breaks out of prison to hunt down a sadistic serial killer who is terrorising London. Stars Idris Elba, OBS, Andor Serkis and Cynthia Erivo. Oh man, I loved Luther when it came out on telly. I thought it was brilliant. I remember I was living alone um, at sort of around the early series and obviously I won't do any spoilers, but there are a couple of moments where you do not want to be living on your own and watching Luther. And all I can say is if you know, you know. Catherine got me to watch the first episode of the first series and I was meant to watch more of it, but never got round to it. So it's definitely on my list to catch up with. Is this on Netflix? Yes. So this is another example of Netflix, basically, well, they did it with Top Boy, didn't they? They took a show off Terrestrial and then sort of extended it on Netflix. And they did a good job with Top Boy. So I've got high hopes for Luther. I mean, the trailer suggests it's worth it for Circus's quiff alone. And then the other show that out this week is School Spirits. This comes out on Paramount Plus also on Friday the 8th of March. It's from the executive producer of Pretty Little Liars and it's about a murdered student, Maddie Nears, played by Peyton List, who's Tory in Cobra Kai, whose soul haunts the grounds of a high school where she met her untimely end. Here's the thing. This sounds exciting just because Pretty Little Liars is so bad. It's like... Such bad, but such compellingly watchable TV in that I watched two seasons of it and then it got too stupid even for me to carry on. It's just terrible. So in some ways, I'm quite excited about that. My question is, what's Cobra Kai? I've never heard of it. Oh, it's an incredible TV show based on the legendary movie, The Karate Kid. And Peyton List plays a character called Tori, who's a bit of a badass in that show. Great. Um, but yeah, not, not huge amounts. We had more trailers for Succession and Ted Lasso, but we'll talk more about that stuff next week in, in our preview section. Um, but very excited about all of that. We started this episode by talking about films, so it feels quite fitting that we're finishing it by talking about two big screen stars coming to the small screen soon. Have you seen the news about Arnie? Do you know I hadn't until you sent around um, the stuff today about this episode? <laughs> The suggested well, reading I'm... list. Suggested yeah. reading list. <laughs> but you know, thrilled to hear he still has a career. 
great yeah. gift. Yeah, his show's is got a release date. It's coming out on the 25th of May on Netflix. It's called FUBAR, which stands for? Fucked Up Beyond All Recognition. And the basic uh, premise is that Luke and his daughter Emma have lied to each other for years, both of them not knowing the other is a CIA operative. Brilliant. Oh, my God. Does that mean we're going to get more phenomenal Arnie one-liners? I hope so, very much. If, it sounds a little bit like The Old Man, the which was the what Jeff Bridges show that I watched. It also sounds a lot like Mr and Mrs Smith. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Maybe it's a mixture of those. But the other big star to be in a TV show is, is old Bobby De Niro. He's going to be in a show called Zero Day. Now, this one doesn't have a release date yet, but it is going to be coming out on Netflix. And it asks the question on everyone's mind, how do we find truth in a world in crisis. I hope the launch date for this is billed as De Niro Day instead of Zero Day. <laughs> Not that I'm missing a trick. Nice. My question is, how bad is De Niro's divorce settlement that he's now doing a TV series? It's got a bit of a John Cleese energy to it, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, and there was one other final thing, was that Traitors Season 2 has been announced. But Adam, you're not on it. No, they, okay. they were, casting was still open uh, when I last looked, so. Was it? Is there actually an application form then? I think so. I'm going to find it, because I think you should fill it out. Yeah, send me a link. We get so many listeners for the pod. Do it for the pod, Adam. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Pimping me out for the podcast. <laughs> Come on, you know. I'm incredibly excited about this, and um, to be honest, I'm going to suggest that you do a 24-hour event at the space and screen it all. Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. Fab, thank you all for this. We've gone a little bit giddy. Someone else will do the socials. Yes, if you want to let us know what you've been watching or tell us what we should watch next, but not in March because we're watching so much, uh, you can contact us on the socials at tvdnapod or you can email us tvdnapod at gmail.com. You'll find us. We're here. If anyone's got a quick link to the traitor's application form, please do throw it over to us on the socials as well. We'll also be digging it out. Excellent. And do check out all our other many, many other episodes. Four episodes we released last week. So we're doing Unforgotten and we're doing The Mandalorian and we're doing The Last of Us. And we've got more to come soon. So do keep listening. Bye! Uh, (laughs) Anything else, chaps? We don't need to really sign this off because we'll be signing it off tomorrow. What? We're going to add on to the end of this what we've been watching and what's coming soon. Oh, are we? I thought we were doing that on the other ones. Okay. So that we'll have this recording and then as as well as that, we'll be, oh, we've now been joined by blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah gotcha. Otherwise, we're putting another four episodes out next week. Mm-hmm. No need for that. <laughs> Great. I'll stop this then. Um, I'm just jumping in quickly. Is there? Is he being? Are you? Is Damien sounding like a robot for everyone else? Yes. Okay. I thought it was just me. So. Yeah, I, I just wanted to check that it wasn't just me. Damo, you you're a bit glitchy, hun. Oh no. Um, <laughs> should I start again? <laughs> you glitched at the perfect time with that. What if you turned off the camera? And that might help. Not that I know anything about tech, but oh. So you don't, you just don't want to see me. Yeah, it's like don't, mates. Don't want to see your birthday face. All right. How does that, does that sound better? It does sound better. I somehow have hidden all the non-video participants. So you now are a bit like an omnipotent god. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Everything happens for a reason. Sewing TV recommendations on us all. Uh, omnipotent God, King of the North, Sean Bean, please. Damo, try, try your best. What? My best Sean Bean? 